0: Hello, this is the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and Paddy has just moved to London, so he's trying to figure out his Wi-Fi situation and everything like that at the moment, so we wish him well, but we have replaced him for this week with one of our other coaches, Shane Story, who has dropped in today to discuss all things strength and the kind of powerlifting side of uh, training programming. Over the last few weeks, we've been discussing um, all the different principles of of strength training, resistance training, but we've kept it pretty general. And we've been talking to a general audience who are interested in body composition, health, maybe they want to emphasize strength, but we haven't really gone in depth on strength programming itself. So that's what Shane has come here for today. So firstly, Shane, your first time on the podcast so you might give us a bit of an introduction to who you are how you get into the industry who you coach and uh, maybe a bit about your your own powerlifting journey as well would be interesting. Sweet yeah thank you very much for uh, having me
1: on long time listener first time guest (laughs) and so yeah uh, I have been training people for around three on four years at this stage I uh, started off with PT and in the last year, I've been mainly working with people online. Uh, obviously after the COVID pandemic hit, you know, I had to kind of think a bit more about how the business would progress and online uh, is obviously a better option for that. And then you took me under under the underneath your wing. So uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, in regards to who I coach, so I do have a kind of mixture of clients. So naturally stre- strength is one of my kind of main interest strength and body composition so I would have a mix of people who specifically want to train for strength of a few people who are looking to do their first pair of competitions in the next month or two and then I have some body composition clients and then just general health clients too so in regards to my background like even before PT like I have been training for maybe seven years so touching on 10 years 10 11 years of training experience at the moment with myself a lot of trial and error to kind of get to where I am now uh, and then over the last three years it's been pretty much only focused on strength in terms of powerlifting so got into powerlifting and uh, just randomly did a single lift competition single lift, single lift deadlift competition which was hosted by the gym I was working out of at the time uh, and then I got in contact with as powerlifting and I've been training under them for the last yeah three years and have competed four times in that time space so it's been a yeah it's been an interesting journey uh, so far hopefully in the next few weeks as well i'll be doing my fifth competition and uh, ideally qualifying
0: for nationals uh, in 2022 lovely outstanding so for people who aren't aware i guess the the sport of powerlifting um is distinct from standard weight training and i think a lot of the the lines get blurred very often because people you know think of squat bench and deadlift as being the core lifts for anyone whereas in powerlifting they're sport specific tasks you've got to reach certain standards you know on the bench press you have to touch your chest and you have to rack it when they say re-rack etc there's all specific rules for um each respective lift and this presents number of um challenges for programming and a number of uh, necessities for how one would program particularly because you're doing one rep instead of 10 reps so I imagine most of your training is not carried out in the 10 to 15 rep range so I think what would be interesting as an introduction um, to training for strength would be to hear as you kind of approach nine weeks out from your next competition could you give a rough overview of what a training week looks like for you?
1: So uh so nine weeks out at this stage and over the last eight weeks since the previous competition I did was essentially like coming out of the initial competition in August was adding in a bit more variety to the training mm-hmm. in the leak in the weeks leading up to a competition. So when you're going through a peak in phase. Typically, like, intensities are pretty high, fatigue is pretty high, and training is really, really specific. And, like, specificity is quite important for building strength in, say, if you want to squat, it's a good idea to squat more, like, you know, if you're squatting two, three times a week, that's going to help you build your squat. However, doing that consistently over, like, a year, it's not going to do a huge amount for your training enjoyment, or it might not do a huge amount for your adherence to training. Mm -hmm. so with that in kind of building blocks over the last eight weeks training has been a bit more varied and kind of looking at okay the individual tree lifts i have to improve on so squat bench and deadlift what are the areas of those lifts that maybe i could improve on a bit more could i use any kind of variations over the eight weeks when i'm trying to build some strength in those areas to transfer over to when i go go into a peaking phase and my competition training does get a bit more specific um and then as we come into the peaking phase so peaking phases could be around four to six weeks it really depends on who's going to be doing the programming <laughs> um but in in those phases then you're essentially just looking to maximize the kind of adaptations that you've built up to that point you're not really ne- necessarily building any additional strength but you're going through the phase of getting rid of the fatigue that you would have built up over your training blocks and then letting your fitness show uh, on competition day.
0: Yeah, and that's such an important point that we always try to emphasize that there's such a difference between like what you do to express performance and what you do to actually develop it in the long term. And in this case, your peaking phase, it's designed to be able to express what you have built up over a number of months or years, et cetera. But it's not the phase that like, you couldn't prolong that, period of training across the whole year and continue to make progress because that's not the purpose of it. And I think this is such an important point because, um, often when people, you know, just try to copy what other people do, they mightn't understand where that block is or where that training week is or where that training day is within the context of someone's overall, um, training month or training year. And if you just do that, you mightn't actually continue to make any progress yourself because you're applying it inappropriately. So if we zoom out then, and we think of strength training, let's say not necessarily someone who is training specifically for powerlifting, but someone who's coming to the gym and they're saying, you know, yeah, I want to build some muscle. That's fine. But my primary goal is to maximize my strength, Uh, in the one to five rep range on a handful of lifts that's their primary goal what are some of the key distinctions do you think between programming for that person and programming for say the person who comes in and they just say oh I want to get in shape you know that's I just want to improve how I look and I'm not too worried about particular lifts what are some of the things that you're thinking initially when you're programming for that client so, so with the
1: person who obviously has that handful of lifts, I mean, training those handful of lifts with an appropriate volume, with an appropriate frequency and with an appropriate de- degree of specificity is going to be pretty important for that person. And like, you know, using those as your kind of metrics of progress over a given time scale with the person who is maybe more pro- body composition kind of goal or somebody just wants to get in shape you're not necessarily bound to any particular exercise selection and even with that like when we talk about getting stronger and just gaining strength it's very it's almost different to powerlifting specific because if you're looking to compete powerlifting as you mentioned at the start you have to abide by a specific set of rules at which you're going to do for each exercise whereas if you're looking to gain strength in just a handful of exercises but you have to to decide what are my parameters for getting strong at these exercises too. Do I need to squat to depth for it to be an acceptable squat for me to progress in? And from there, you can essentially look at building your program out a bit more using those kind of parameters of, okay, what type of frequency am I going to use for each lift? Two to three times per week could be a good place to start. If you're only doing it once per week, while you may be able to get in a sufficient volume in at one session, the quality of those of that volume might not necessarily be as good as if you split it over the week. As well as you might not necessarily be able to um perform with the same degree of kind of coordination or your over the set over over the sets, your ability to perform that lift may degrade due to
0: just kind of fatigue. Perfect. And For that individual who is, you know, trying to develop that strength primarily in the one to five rep range, do you like to have clients do like regular singles at lower effort or do you program in such a way that it's, uh, let's say six to eight, this block, then four to six, then two to three or whatever. How, How do you approach it from a general perspective with rep ranges on those particular lifts?
1: With the likes of singles, I wouldn't necessarily program them in for people unless they were looking to, you know, unless 1RM strength was very important to them. Yeah. If they're looking to mainly maximize kind of just general strength, i probably more inclined to keep it between the three to five rep range. Okay, that's more so because you're gonna be able to build a bit more volume through those rep ranges as well as maybe focusing a little bit as well on the idea of increasing kind of hypertrophy, potentially. Um, And and with that as well, I wouldn't necessarily have blocks of specifically just six to eight or just four to six. It would be varied across the week. So if you're doing squats for two times per week frequency, one of those days could be you you train at five reps and one day you could be trained at three reps. And then over the train block, you'd be essentially looking to add a little bit of load there if you can, Uh, if you can stay in maybe the kind of intensity range that we're we're providing. So depending on the individual, could look at using different intensity gauges. So you could use a percentage-based program or could use an RPE-based program. The kind of downsides with something like an intensity-based, uh, sorry, a percentage-based program is it kind of requires somebody to maybe understand what their 1RM is. Yeah. You know, they're going to have some kind of place to anchor that percentage from. And then also the downside with maybe RPE-based training is well. Uh, so, Beginners in particular are going to be pretty bad at estimating how close or how far they are from failure. But even some some advanced lifters are also going to be have a degree of kind of error when it comes to predicting that proximity to failure too. So each has their kind of individual kind of pros and cons.
0: Um, yeah, well, that. that's spot on. <laughs> Not, yeah no i thought i thought you were going to keep talking No, that's perfect and i would agree with that i think uh, i'm actually a big fan of, of using RP or reps and reserve for um programming myself like per, especially because i know that if i'm working with a client that this is a period of time that they can learn it under someone's guidance you know if i was giving someone a one-off program I mightn't be as comfortable, especially if they're on the beginner end of the spectrum, that they're going to be able to gauge their RPE or reps in reserve accurately. But with the help of a coach, what you can effectively do is, you know, educate the person on, right, why is this important, informing them on the fact that you're not going to be able to gauge this early on, and then move from there to analyzing videos, getting their perceived RPE, and then giving my perceived RPE, which is obviously not applicable to what they're feeling internally, but I'm at least giving them some feedback on what I think in terms of, right, based on the bar speed, based on your positioning, based on previous weeks, I think that your RPE might be this or RIR might be this. So, what you can do next week is I want you to try to push a bit further. I want you to pull back, et cetera. That's quite a difficult process to go through on your own, but it is something that can be improved over time. And I think that if you never develop that skill, I think it's kind of a bit like never learning your nutrition basics. Like you're ne- never learning like what, how many calories are in certain foods, how much protein is in certain foods, etc. because you're just, you're never paying attention to those things. It's one of those things where yes, you can get great results. Like you can go on a meal plan or you can go on a percentage based approach, but you mightn't have the same, um, intuition uh, about your nutrition or about your effort and training, as someone else might have. And I think that one of the downsides of of a percentage based program, I don't know if you'd agree with this, would be that, like, for someone who, let's say, is they have a stressful lifestyle, they've got, um, you know, work. Let's say they work in manual labor and they're doing this strength based program. They might have considerable variance in their performance from day to day, um, or from week to week, and we know the performance can vary for a multitude of reasons that we can't always pin down. So, if we prescribe, let's say, eighty-five percent one rep max for five by five, that might be manageable one week, you know, and you you feel like you pushed yourself hard and you got it done. But the next week, then you're hitting failure on the first set, let's say, on that fifth rep, and because it's been pre-prescribed without any guidance on auto-regulating, you just stick with that and you keep pushing through, hitting failure every single time. That's going to massively increase the fatigue that's generated from that training session. And it's also going to really discourage you from going back to do the session again, while also potentially increasing risk of injury. So they'd be some of the downsides from my perspective. Would you you agree with that?
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. That's uh, probably one of the considerations i was going to mention before i went blank <laughs> yeah. uh but yeah like that's one of the like main advantages in my opinion of using something like rpe like it allows you to auto-regulate like it's it's something that i would say declines. clients like eight is does not necessarily mean that next week you add on two and a half kilos eight yes. means you work up to a weight that is in line with that kind of intensity gauge you know it's, it's around two reps from what would be uh the one or or a 10 out of 10 effort you know whereas it doesn't it could be higher it could be lower or it could be the same weight that you used the previous week and over time should the adaptations will be taking place like the number will go up and strength is one of those things that the more you train for it the more you realize that you will be lifting a lot of the same weights like over train blocks like it th- th- the trend will be going up but you don't necessarily have to be forcing overload every single week. That's not how strength will come. A lot of times strength is going to be built from keeping the RP much lower than the, the 10 out of 10 maximum, even like 9 out of 10. The yeah. RP 9 would even be something you wouldn't necessarily be coming towards like regularly on a weekly basis, maybe in that kind of peaking phase. you know. So keeping the intensity a little bit lower than one might – Initially, think is probably going to be more favorable for building top levels strength.
0: Yeah, and that's really important because I think if you've come to, let's say you're getting into strength training with a background on just training for muscle building or training to improve your body composition, it can be very easy to try to transfer all training principles over. And let's say you're doing like loads of cable flies, dumbbell flies, machine chest press, etc. Like going to failure on those types of exercises doesn't take that much out of you like same with things like leg extensions and even legs leg press to some degree let's say like yes they're super fatiguing it's hard to push yourself to failure but when you truly push yourself to like rp10 on a deadlift or a squat like you you want you basically want to leave the gym then like you're like that one set is that's enough for me for today um so if you go to if, if you start trying to develop your strength and i remember doing this when i was younger where I I'd, I'd do a five by five or I do a five by three or something like that. Or I remember small of going through that at one point and you're just taking every single set, like five to eight sets to failure or to RPE 10. And two weeks into the program, you're like, I cannot keep this going. Whereas if you're doing that on like the, the lighter, less taxing exercises, it is a bit more manageable. So it's important to recognize some of the differences there. And from your perspective then, let's say like when you're getting new clients coming to you who actually have a background in trying to train for powerlifting or trying to train for maximal strength, what would you say are some of the most common mistakes that you see people making in their programming?
1: Probably would be going too heavy too often. Yeah. You know, and not spending enough time like keeping the RPEs or the intensities a little bit lower. Um, And then potentially as well, just like operating with the same kind of set structure for too long like I think like there's kind of merit in when you're training for something like hypertrophy to kind of keep going with a program until you know your progress stops in a sense and um, whereas with training like I oh, with training for strength like sometimes the higher degree or free or sorry high degree variability in a program can help because it stops you from going towards those higher intensities mm. too often you know and like one thing it's the difference almost between training for hypertrophy and strength in the sense that when you're training for hypertrophy like most of the time you're trying to push towards the kind of degree of kind of uh, closer proximity to failure to kind of get the adaptations that you want whereas with strength the more often you do that you just increase fatigue especially on the likes of squat bench and deadlift because they can incur a lot of fatigue as you just mentioned there do that machine no problem do you want to squat or deadlift and like, yeah, you'll be fried for the rest of the session. And that might just mean that you need to deload more often. When you're deloading, you're not training. <laughs> you're not accumulating training volume. And you're probably not going to be making the adaptations that you want. So, so that would probably be one thing I, I see people do. Uh, another thing would be depending on the person, not having the confidence to go towards heavier weights as well. Mm. You know, because that, that can definitely be barrier out previously um, like years ago, that would have been a barrier to me. Like I would perceive in my own my own head that I could not lift certain weights and it would stop me get going towards them. And anytime I got towards them, I'd get my own head about lifting that weight. And the anxiety of even performing the session would get to me too much and it might not necessarily load the load the bar. Um other things would be training with people as well who have a similar goal to yourself. I do think you know training with people who are looking to train for strength too can really help because like you know it's like an accountability buddy. Like while you may have a coach, you know your coach might only see your videos like once a week or whatever. Whereas if you're training with somebody in person, like well one you can keep each other accountable. To yes, you are hitting the targets that you should be hitting with the sufficient degree of intensity. Uh, your technique is obviously going to be improved as well if somebody's here an eye on you so those would be kind of things that i kind of see often with people who are just getting into strength training um or who, who have been doing strength training for a while and kind of common mistakes i might see them do
0: perfect and i think i, I think i've observed all of those um myself as well i'm just trying to think is there anything else um potentially uh, you might have said this along the way but i think um a lack of like we already mentioned a lack of variation let's say in, in intensity ranges and stuff but also a lack of variation in in exercise selection because I suppose while specificity is so incredibly important as you mentioned previously in the conversation um if you're overly specific all of the time that becomes very stale it probably increases um risk of injury it probably increases risk of training burnout to some degree as well because of a lack of interest but, you know, you'll have guys who they do low back squat in competition, and that's the only squat variation they ever train as a result. They never do any front squats. They never do any high bar squats. That's all they train. And that might be two, three times a week for years on end. And what happens then very often, and I see a lot of this because I tend to work with people who are crippled already. Um, what tends to happen is you get a bit of a niggling injury, like maybe it's your groin or it's your low back or something. And you don't, you still don't vary um, your exercise selection at all. You just keep persisting with that exercise, even though it's aggravating it. Whereas it could be the case that if you were to just swap for front squat for a certain period of time, that that would take a bit of load off the, the back or the hip and that you were able to continue developing the musculature, albeit in a less specific manner but you're able to keep on training and you're not going to continue aggravating that injury. That's one of the things I see very frequently as a mistake, because I think people worry that, oh, if I'm not training the specific lifts all of the time, that I'm not going to be contributing to getting stronger in them, but you are because you're still, you can still train the same muscles. You can still build the same muscles. Um, and the movement patterns are so similar in the grand scheme of things. It's just that there's a difference when it comes to the nitty gritty of, the the powerlifting competition. And I think that comes back as well to what we said previously, where a peaking block is not necessarily your entire year of training. So I imagine that in your own training, and this is how I would typically program for people would be that variation is basically inversely proportional to the time um from competition so if we have if we're six months out from competition you can do more variation there that's no mm. problem at all if you're a month out from competition you know it's not the time for variation it's the time for specificity it's the same with martial arts like um paddy and i both do jiu-jitsu well so does dean so does brian you don't you and nicola are need, gonna need to jump on the train <laughs> but uh, no so we, like we do jiu-jitsu and, and one of the things in jiu-jitsu is that there's basically an infinite amount of different types of guard you could play, submission attempts, you could play general styles that you could attempt. And it's really nice to play around with all that stuff. But when it comes to competition, what people are generally trying to do is develop some sort of game plan so that they know that if if this happens, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. Because if you have too many choices, then you're just not really developing any specific characteristics. So Mm -hmm. that's what you're trying to prioritize when it's close to competition. A field sports example, again, would be like we coach a lot of GA athletes. And typically, as we approach the season, and it's particularly the most intense period of the season, we're doing a lot more like high velocity repeated sprint work, you know, on the pitch, specific to the sport, we're not trying to build loads of muscle or lay down our aerobic base at that point, that should be done. Now is the time to um, exploit those sport specific characteristics. So these parallels can be drawn across all different sports. And it comes back to that point that powerlifting is a sport. So if you're yeah. going to be competing, you need to specify for that sport closer to that time. And one more thing to add there as well is that I know that, like, oh, probably it's probably the, the term doesn't get used too much um, anymore, but over the last probably decade, maybe 15 years, a lot of the natural bodybuilding and natural powerlifting worlds kind of crossed over. And one of the things that happened then was everyone was into power building and trying to do both, where they're trying to do bodybuilding and they're trying to do powerlifting. And the way that it often manifests is that what people effectively do is they start their workout with a powerlifting like program, like let's say they do seven sets of three on squat, but then they still do like the full hypertrophy program. So they they still then do their five sets of 15 on the leg press and four sets of 20 on the Bulgarian split squat and so on and so on. And I imagine that in your own programming, you might be a little bit closer to that when you're far out from competition but if you're a week out from competition, two weeks out, four weeks out from competition, you're not going to be wasting all your resources on split squats and leg presses and leg extensions, etc., when it could be diverted to the the specific lifts. Would that be correct?
1: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like, I mean, like the once you're not in prep uh, prep for a competition, the rest of that time is essentially tr- trying to build your body in a sense so that it can express as much strength as possible yeah you know like one one big component of strength is like muscle mass like it's not like a one-to-one relationship like you know growing more muscle doesn't mean you necessarily grow more strength it just kind of allows for potentially more strength potential and you know we see that with as you go up higher and higher and higher in weight class and powerlifting strength typically tends to increase you know um so in your kind of building phases you are looking to add in some variation as you just mentioned there one for for variety longevity injury risk reduction and uh just so potentially you're trained through weak points too and then you would also have like more kind of like bodybuilding work or uh, accessories as some people call them but i don't really like to call them accessories as well because yeah you know people kind of diminish their uh actual need to actually do them as so well. It's, it's easy to skip those things. Yeah. If they're just viewed as other ah, accessories optional. Yeah. Where whereas it's still important because, you know, even when it comes to doing like your competition squat, or your your deadlift or bench, like you know, one of your main focuses there is like gonna you know, move that weight from A to B as explosively as possible. Whereas like when you're more so doing your high pressure based exercises, like you're more fo- more so focused, not necessarily on the weight, but more so like what your muscle is doing. And like, you know, actually trying to increase like the size of your quads or your back, your chest or whatever. So then as you do come into your peaking phase, you know, you can start to strip out the likes of your accessories or maybe you just decrease the intensity that you do the map. Maybe you keep them in because you don't want to take them out completely. But you do definitely scale them back down in terms of intensity. So the opposed to where you would have been maybe pushing like the reps and reserve from like maybe like three to zero in your kind of building phases when you come into the peak, you're trying to keep it a good, a good deal away from that because you don't necessarily want to incur any more fatigue than you would be doing the than through your main lifts. And then as you're coming into the your, your beacon phase, like yeah, typically in the kind of one to two weeks before competition. One week before competition, you're really not doing much training at all. Uh, and then two weeks from training, you're probably just coming in to do your kind of main lifts. Typically, that may look like you know your last your Last deadlift, your last squat for openers, and um, yeah, so you wouldn't really do much accessories at all.
0: Perfect, and tell me oh, what was I going to say? Um, give me a second, give me a second. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, when you're designing, let's say, a general um training block like let's say someone's six months out from competition that's not a specific time point or maybe they don't even do powerlifting maybe they're just trying to develop strength generally how long do you find um is the kind of sweet spot for you for a training cycle like let's say someone being on a particular program there might be variations each week but what's a a typical kind of training block look like for, for you and how do you how do you progress within the block like for example are you someone who's a fan of like start at two to three reps in reserve, then two, then one to two, whatever? Or what are some of the general trends in a Shane story training block?
1: Uh, so I usually keep to about four to six weeks. I think that's a kind of nice yeah, spot that allow for like, just even the progressions and load. So typically I'd like people to start around four to five reps in reserve. Mm. So pretty light. Like, and that's kind of usually how I start most training programs as well, is to start off like an intro week. But like that first week is to get a feel for what the program's going to be like, see what the volume's going to be like initially, maybe you'll take off like even like one to two sets, depending on how high the kind of training volume is in the program. See what they're going to start off weights are going to be like, get a feel for how long the program's going to take them. And then from there, they can look to progress it on week on week. If there's somebody who is more so in kind of powerlifting focus, or even if it's just somebody who requests it, I will provide them with weights to do on, on a given week mm-hmm. some people can like properly self-select weights but some people do need to essentially be spoon-fed what weights to do and that that's fine I, I get the same done with my coach one benefit of it is it does take you out of your own head yeah and it kind of gives you a bit of confidence if somebody else is saying this is the way for you to do go do it like you know obviously you could have a bit of kind of back and forth if the person doesn't feel confident enough to do it but that's kind of an opportunity for you to have evidence of you know why you are given that recommendation like generally people send me training videos of their like top sets and say okay well based on the speed and based off your, the speed of like other sets like you definitely have room to uh, progress in that lift you know and then over training blocks you know the person's going to get a lot more comfortable especially if they're new to training as to what degree you've kind of what like an RPA or a nine or whatever feels like the uh, base off speed, you know, and that kind of builds confidence over time with them.
0: Perfect. And do you see much, do you see much value in um, like maintaining work, let's say within that three to five reps and reserve range, like later in a training block, or do you always kind of linearly increase it closer to failure?
1: It, it kind of depends on the lift. So if it is with their kind of, main specific variation, I will try to push that up across the block. However, if it's with the likes of the variations that we may have in the program, a lot of that is going to be mainly for technique work as opposed to trying to increase training volume or like force adaptations on those. So with those, say for example, in a program, if somebody's doing two SWAT days, one of those days is probably going to be a variation and one of those days probably will be like a competition variant or a specific variant even if they are quite far out from a competition one just so they're keeping one in first for practice of the skill and the other day just so even if they want to get better at a certain movement like high bar squats for example to build their quads up a bit more and also gives them another area where they can focus on maybe setting some goals or kind of like achieving weights and those over time so it kind of gives you a bit more variety in your training program as opposed to just saying okay well the only things that i really have to focus on are my squat bench and deadlift and they're the only three things that i really care about the metrics going up on whereas over time if you have all these different variants that you can focus on be like i hit pb on my double pass squat i hit pb on my tempo bench like they, they become also kind of factors that can make training a bit more enjoyable over the long term
0: and from your perspective then if we, if we kind of zoom in on the crossover between let's say nutrition and um, powerlifting or maximal strength. When you have a client that comes to you and they want to, let's say, focus on maximal strength, but they also want to lose weight and get leaner, do you find those to be goals that can be pursued together? Or as some people seem to perceive, do you think it's just a case that, no, if you're in a deficit, you're not getting stronger. You're going to get weaker. You're going to lose muscle. What do you think?
1: Oh, yeah, like I mean, you can definitely get stronger in a deficit, it just depends on the rate at which you are losing body weight, yeah, and like even like where you're losing it from. You know, like one of the first things that lifters get hit with is their bench press starts to suffer, you know, their leverage change changed dramatically. If you're losing, if you have any body fat in your ass <laughs> on your chest, like you know, you're gonna be like increasing the range of motion there. And like, you know, typically faster rates of weight loss are going to come with those harsher changes in leverages too, which is going to affect your strength. Because if you are increasing range of motion, you're going to be increasing the amount of distance that you have to travel through. You could even be removing fat from areas where, you know, gave you a good kind of proprioceptive feedback in regards to, okay, now I feel my calves hit my hamstrings. So this is my time to accelerate from the bottom of the squat. So yeah like if you are looking to gain strength on a diet it probably would be better off to go at a slower rate than a faster rate um yeah so that'd be kind of what i think
0: yeah i think i think a lot of people do do come into the process of uh weight loss just kind of assuming that they're going to lose strength which um which which can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy then you kind of like nocebo yourself because that's your expectation i'm going to lose strength so you know, maybe you're not as keen on your sessions, you're not as motivated, you're not going to your sessions thinking, right, I'm going to add 2.5 kilos to the bar from last week, because your expectation is that you're going to be losing strength. So it's really important that you approach your training in the same manner, you know, you still go into the gym with the intent to progress regardless of whether or not you are losing weight. And to touch on your point, it's It's very discouraging when you begin to lose body fat around the back of your cat, especially if you don't wear knee sleeves and you get your legs like really lean. You're like the squat range of motion is just totally different, totally different. Um, And as you begin to kind of bulk up a bit, it's really nice to feel the The kind of uh, bit of cushioning around the front of your hips and also on the back of your hamstrings and calves to give you that feedback. So I guess that's an interesting point on on what strength is as well, that very often people think of strength as, right, It's you're just as strong as you are. It's just your muscles producing the force. But in fact, it comes down to so many different variables, including where do you store body fat and and what's the actual lift look like for you? Um, How far do you have to move the weight? You know, what's actually leading to the change in direction? Is it genuine muscular change of direction? Or are you bouncing off your hamstrings and calves? And we can't always change that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's like an often overlooked kind of consideration for strength as well. It's like your leverages are so important for what lifts you're going to be quite good at. And if your goal is just general strength, you have the option to pick the lift that will suit you the best. You know, um, some people will not be suited as well to other as others to like a squat. You know, if they have uh, like long femurs and a short torso, like their squat may be a bit more uncomfortable than somebody who has like the opposite you know, and that person may be a bit more suited to a deadlift. So like, you know, there's lots of different things that you kind of excel in as well. So you don't necessarily need to fit yourself into the kind of narrow box that like you may have to a powerlifting.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, like getting stronger, is getting stronger. And that's yeah. the most important thing. You know, even if your squat isn't the most aesthetic, like you don't look like an Olympic weightlifter with this perfect upright stance, if you're getting stronger over time, that's ultimately what matters both from, health perspective and of course from a performance perspective so if someone is interested in making the transition then towards powerlifting maybe they want to do their first competition um or they even want to just you know set the goal that they just want to start focusing more on that specific type of training how would you say you know someone should begin making that transition from let's say general bodybuilding um or body composition type of program you know they're doing their three sets of 12 etc yeah they do some squatting but it's not specific how does someone make that transition
1: See, the first thing to do is get a coach (laughs) um it's it's one of those like it's it's not like train for train for hypertrophy or where you're just kind of showing up to the gym and you could maybe follow a program online there's a lot of kind of Small bits that even when I started the powerlifting, I wouldn't have thought about before. Like, you know, choosing the appropriate equipment, learning all the rules of the sport, you know, even the case of, you know, giving somebody what weights to hit for a certain week or not necessarily needing to redline it every single week. You know, like you can read about this stuff online, but until you're kind of guided through that process. It's, it's very difficult to implement and even with that you know having a coach definitely helps you keep out your own head and set expectations you know having huge expectations for first parallel to meet is often a bad idea because the kind of first parallel competition you do is going to be something that you just look to get a total you just want to Go to go to meet on the day. You want to have fun. You want to get to know people who are in the community because the community is fantastic. Um, and it should be a fun opportunity. It's not meant to be about competing on your very first day and like, you know, winning winning the thing. Uh, learning that your first squat is going to be the most nerve-wracking squat of your life. And then after that, the rest of the day is going to be quite fun. You know, and having somebody there to guide you through that process and kind of even on the day. Helping you with like your weight selections, helping you with your warm ups, you know, talc putting talcum powder in your legs (laughs) like all of that stuff really does help. And it's something that you probably there are a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily think about if you're just going through the process on your own,
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think especially if you're going to do a competition you don't want to just roll up on your own and not have any guidance no one telling you what weights to choose or saying you know your second attempt looked fast you know add five kilos or whatever and again that other point regarding just aiming to go nine for nine is probably what you want to do in your first comp more than anything else like get your lifts in don't be trying to say, oh, you know what, that second attempt, that was, that was good. I'm, I'm gonna add 15 kilos for an all-time PR. Like that'll come. It'll, it'll come. And ultimately, I think just getting that exposure is probably the most important part. Now, I'm no powerlifting expert, but I've had a couple of people um, go to their first meets, and I think that if you just conservative with your selection. You start, you make your first attempt way easier than you think you need to. Uh, That's just gonna make the whole process a lot smoother, I think.
1: Yeah, and like realistically, even like when it comes to openers, you're going to be lifting weights that you've done multiple times in training. It's really just to get a number up and board because if like with the example of your first spot being the most nerve wracking thing, if you miss that, then you are very, very close to bound because now the nerves are, are doubling. Uh, As you go into that second attempt, you know, and that coupled with the fact that you could potentially not be able to complete the meet, you know, that you've trained so hard for is I I dread to be in that situation. You know, I even had to have this conversation with a client recently who's looking to compete in his first competition and he was asking me about like, how how would I go about attempt selection or what I would perceive his attempt selection to be. But was so far away that I couldn't really give any kind of accurate kind of estimations. But I suppose he was under he was under the impression that with the three attempts, it's essentially a max effort attempt on each on each selection. Which you know, if you if you did that, like it'd be pretty impressive to, if you finished day nine for nine. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but it'd be, it'd be very difficult to do. You know, if, if anybody has ever maxed out on a squat, even just doing that for one rep, yeah. never mind doing. It for three times and then you have to do deadlifts at the end is a pretty intense and the day of a powerlifting meet as well it's a day that's full of adrenaline full of caffeine like anytime i've ever done a powerlifting meet i felt like i've just been out for an entire weekend (laughs) (laughs) because yeah because like it's very difficult to sleep after it because of all the caffeine but you're getting such adrenaline dumps throughout the day you know so um it's definitely something
0: that you would have to have guidance through but you'd recommend it for someone who's interested like it doesn't have to be this big intimidating thing that i'm i should only compete if i'm at a certain level like there's no specific entry point for most local meets like it's not a big deal no i, I
1: think if you if it's something that you would be interested in doing i'd say 100 do it it's it's fun like i mean it's such an interesting kind of sport in a sense that like, you know, if you look at a bodybuilding show um, or even just any other sport, generally, if somebody on the opposing team is competing or doing their shot, like, you know, there could be silence or there could be boos. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're at a to meet, every single person who's there wants you to get the lift, even the person that you're competing against, yeah. which is amazing. Like, you know, the people who would be lifting the lightest weights of the day, like, you know, everybody be, would be on their feet, like, you know, clapping and cheering for them when they get the lift. So... It's a it's an interesting environment and an incredibly supportive one.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important to point out because I think a lot of people do get anxious because of the the stereotype of the sport, I guess. Like you think of yeah. like these quiet, aggressive lifters who are just on their own path, lone wolves, and don't want to support anyone else. But that's not the reality when you go to a powerlifting meet, you know. As you say, you're getting encouraged by others, so it's not like you need to go there and be super worried that no one's going to talk to you or no one's going to give you a hand. And I mean, I've been to a couple of meets where people have showed up with no coaches, no guidance, and as long as someone has the time, they'd be more than happy to you know, step in and give you a hand if, if they're not working with another person at the same time. So um, it, is, it is a nice environment. So if you're thinking of doing your first meet and you're worried about it or you don't think you're good enough, just go ahead and do it. And of course, we would recommend that you get a coach and in particular that you get coached by Shane. Because <laughs> he's the man, and he'll be able to guide you uh, to your first meet. So, with all of that said, Shane, if someone does want to work with you, do you have coaching spaces available at the moment? Do they have to be a certain level of strength to work with you? I know the answer, like, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, no,
1: yeah, I do, I do have coaching spaces available. So, if you are interested in just dipping your feet into like strength training, like, do give me a message even if it's going to be a, a mixture of body composition and strength, you know, it, as we've discussed in the podcast your program doesn't have to be entirely strength based. Like, you know, you can have a bit elements of power building into it as well. And like, even I would have just general fat loss clients who just dip their feet into the, into strength training too. It's, it's an aspect of training that kind of gives you a bit, go a bit of impairment because mm-hmm. you get to see what your body can do. I think that's a huge element of, kind of what i try to get through to clients is let's stop focusing as much on even things like body composition and your fat loss your weight like let's appreciate what your body can do and i think that's a really good kind of part of something like powerlifting like there's weight classes for every individual you know and it's it's so varied sizes big and small and everybody's catered towards towards and it's really just right this is what your body's capable of let's uh let's maximize it so um so yeah, if that's you,
0: uh, do give me a shout uh, and yeah, look forward and speak to you. 100%. So yeah, if you'd like to work with Shane, you can get in touch with him directly on the gram or alternatively you can get in touch with us uh, info at info@triagemethod.com information will be in the description box below as well um obviously the rest of us have coaching spaces as well so if you'd like to work with a different coach because you don't like Shane you think he sounds dumb or you think he's too much of a strong meathead parlister that's totally fine we'll take you on um but yeah look if we do uh, cater for quite a broad range of clients like myself I work with a lot of the people who have pain and injury or some sort of rehab needs. Um, and and yeah, there's, there's across the spectrum. So if you're interested in coaching, do get in touch and we'll try to help you out. Other than that, you can follow us all on social media. Just go to triage method on Instagram and you'll find all of our coaches there in the following section and you can follow us all. Keep up with the content we're putting out. We are putting out a lot of content on our Instagram at the moment. So we'd recommend that you follow. Um, and then you can see what everyone is up to. So, other than that, guys, not too much else to add for now. If you're a coach, you can you know join the coaches corner if you're interested in your education, subscribe, subscribe to the triage newsletter, leave a rating and review on the podcast, share it, whatever you can do to help us out. We'd appreciate it. So um other than that we will see you next week again when patty is back so thank you very much for covering today shane really enjoyed the episode and hopefully we'll get you back on again i be part of it <laughs>